The divisional round in the NFL is in the books, and it wasn't anything close to what we saw last year. I'll break down all four games with a look ahead to Conference Championship Sunday. The NBA's best team loses two key figures to injury. Two big upsets to the number one and two ranked teams in the nation took place over the past two days in college basketball. There were a few transactions in Major League Baseball as we're three weeks until pitchers and catchers, and not one, not two, but three top-ranked players are out at the Australian Open. I'll survey who's left and who could come out as champion by the end of the week. Plenty of aisles to go up and down as your one-stop shop to cash in on all your sports needs. It's all coming up, but first, this message. J-Reels here, just passing by to send a brief reminder to please subscribe, rate, review this podcast, the J-Reels podcast, on wherever you listen to your podcast, whether it's on Apple, Google, Spreaker, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Luminary, CastBox, all of the major platforms that are out there, whichever one that you listen to, once again, Just throw me a few stars, write a review. I would greatly appreciate it just to increase the visibility of this podcast with all the others that are out there, especially this one, which covers all sports in roughly one hour. Where else are you going to get that? So if you can go ahead and please do that, I would sincerely and gratefully appreciate it. And with that said, let's get it. The J Reels podcast begins in five, four, three, two, one. Let's get this sports podcast party started, all right? The J Reels Podcast. Why don't you wait until July 1st to make an announcement? What a disgrace. He can rack up all these numbers in October, November, and December. But what really counts is let me see this in January. The Sports Rebel Without a Pause, delivering fast-paced, jam-packed sports talk like no other. Listen, I gotta call it as I see it. He is not a good player. I'm sick and tired of having to deal with the disappointment of this franchise. When does it stop? And yes, another winter that I can sleep in peace. Coming correct, direct, and in full effect. Let's get it. This is the J Rules Podcast. Welcome aboard. What is happening, my good people? Greetings. How are you? How's it going? How's everybody doing out there? What is the latest and greatest? I hope everybody's doing well, feeling fantastic, in excellent spirits. I am armed with tons of sports ammo as I'm ready to shoot my mouth off on all that's going on in this wonderful universe that we so enjoy as this is the J Reels Podcast with your host J Reels. For my first timers, welcome aboard and for those who've been banging with me going back to the very beginning, somewhere in the middle or even as early as this past Thursday, I welcome you guys and gals back. Quite a bit to juggle here, we know what the bulk of this podcast is going to be about and... I'll have to say this, people. I know the NFL fan, they're not going to like this. I know the NFL fan, they may agree. Quite a few may certainly disagree. But as we now get past the divisional round, which, as we all know, is the best and probably the one weekend of football that we look forward to among all of them. And now that it's come and gone, and certainly we can't look to the past, we can't look back to what happened Around this time, 365 or 66 days ago, where we arguably had the best divisional round ever. And again, that was for last year, and I'm sure a lot of people thought that the hopes would be something close to what we experienced last year, maybe even surpassing it. But now, as we take a look at what transpired over the last 48 hours, I would have to say that it was probably, at best, a C+, and at worst, a C minus, and you could maybe even push for D plus. That's how bad the weekend was in the NFL. And it's not as if we didn't get competitive games or we didn't get a hard fought battle. It's not as if the games were atrocious or putrid, except for one, 
the Saturday night game between the Giants and Eagles. But the other three games had its moments. The other three games certainly were compelling as we went into the weekend and as the games wore on and there were some critical developments that had happened, which seems to happen not only just in any and every NFL game, but you could say that for all the sports. But just these four games, as we look at, before we even look ahead to the conference championship Sunday, and we'll go in chronological order, but one more time, this weekend was a little underwhelming if you ask yours truly. I don't know how you may feel, the listener. I'm sure you probably say, Jay Reels, you're crazy. That was some great football. It was exciting. Yes, I understand Giants-Eagles got away early and the Giants were completely just bruised, battered, and scarred up and down Lincoln Financial Field throughout the course of the 60-minute matchup. But the other games, you could probably say to yourself that, no, I could argue with you, Jay Reels, on whether or not these games were at least interesting as you got late into the third and fourth quarter of the game. Well, let's start with Saturday in Kansas City as the Jaguars made it to the divisional round for the first time in five years. And I thought that this was going to be a close game. I didn't think that this was going to be a blowout by any stretch. And based on what we saw there early with both teams trading touchdowns and then came the injury that was of all injuries. If there was any quarterback in the sport, that includes Josh Allen, that includes Joe Burrow, You can name any other quarterback that's remaining here in the postseason. But the one that if he happened to go down for any considerable amount of time and maybe even not be in the postseason that everybody would just gasp and say, "Uh uh-oh, they literally have no shot, it's number 15 in red and gold. And what we saw there for a few minutes yesterday as I'm recording this now late Sunday night because I figured, why not? Considering that the divisional round is over, Let me not record first thing in the morning. Let me just, while everything is still cooking in between my ears, I might as well just spew it out and get it out there for the world and for the audience to listen to. But for Mahomes to get sandwiched and then get fallen on top of where his ankle twisted and it looked pretty bad from the start, we saw him hobbling there throughout the rest of that series. We saw a guy that we didn't know how mobile he was going to be considering that It's not a facet of his game in comparison to a guy like Lamar Jackson or even Jalen Hurts, but we all know Mahomes can be dangerous in the open field. He's the type of guy that if the play does break down, he's able to be mobile and try to stretch for yardage or stretch for the sticks to get a first down. We've seen that in his repertoire in the past. So now with him being compromised and hobbling around to the point where he actually had to go into the locker room upon his own behest, because as we saw him slam his jacket there on the table and him arguing with Andy Reid saying, I'm not coming out of this game. Just shows you the competitive fire, the spirit, the heart that this kid has. And even though he did go off into the locker room and Chad Henney, who filled in nicely, remember a couple of years back when Mahomes was concussed in that divisional game against the Browns and had a big drive there to end the game. If you recall, going back to, what was it, the 2020 year, when the Browns were able to beat Pittsburgh and also had a shot to see if they could even go to a championship game, but was thwarted because of Henny and what he did in the second half of that game. But here was Henny at the two-yard line in a critical juncture of the game where he marched 98 yards down the field and put his team into the end zone thanks to Travis Kelsey, who had a big game. What else is new? And that was a critical point in the game when you think about it because if Henny there, let's just say wasn't able to get points on the board or maybe even turn the ball over or was just really sloppy and made Jacksonville 
a short field or a possibility for Jacksonville to maybe even take the lead at that point. That didn't happen. He was methodical down the field. Yes, he did get a couple of personal fouls and almost had an interception there in the early part of that drive, but he was able to maintain, keep the chains moving until they got into the end zone there at 17-7. And even at that point, you probably thought to yourself that as the game wore on and if Jacksonville was going to be close, you were going to look at that drive as a key drive in that game. Because let's just say if Henny wasn't productive and certainly didn't produce, that could have been a focal point to where even if Mahomes came back and was 50-50, obviously he played with a lot of heart and a lot of gumption as we saw there in the second half. But Henny's pinch hitting capabilities came through in a big way. And that stabilized the game. That had Jacksonville not necessarily on their heels, but had Jacksonville made him have to work a little bit more in order to get back into the game. And how I thought as the game moved on into the second half, I thought Kansas City was in no danger. I thought that they were maybe not smooth sailing. Yes, they did hit some choppy waters, which I'll get to in a minute. But I never felt that at any point in this game, even as Jacksonville in the fourth quarter was moving at 27-17, and now they're knocking on the door where they had a golden opportunity to cut it to three, and then even though there would be no pressure on Mahomes in the offense because they've been down this road before, but we saw what happened in the AFC Championship game last year to the Bengals, to where they were unable to score points in the second half, they were unable to produce in big spots, and Mahomes had a costly pick in overtime, and we could go through that whole set of sequences to where Kansas City fell flat on their face in a big spot, and obviously did not get to go to the Super Bowl where the Bengals did, and obviously more on that later on. But now as you get to the critical point of the game, as Jacksonville is ready to punch it into the end zone, and Jamal Agnew receives the ball from a pass by Trevor Lawrence, and what happens? Fumbles there at the three-yard line, gets recovered, and that just took all the air out of the Jaguar balloon and pretty much put the Chiefs in good stead. Yes, I understand that they tacked on a field goal late. This was after a Trevor Lawrence interception, but still... The Jaguars were, at that point, I'm not going to say doomed, but you just knew that there was no shot for them to even not only get back in the game to where they could cut it to within a field goal, but have a shot to win the game. And that's what it boils down to. And Kansas City, behind the performance of Patrick Mahomes, and not that it was heroic by any stretch, but knowing that he wanted to get back in the game, he certainly was hobbling around all over the place, and him wanting to gut out that game in the worst way, because I'm sure... That stench of the AFC Championship game from last year that I mentioned just a couple of minutes ago, I'm sure stuck in his crawl going into that game knowing that this was going to be a big postseason for him. That he had to get back to that Super Bowl being a one seed in the conference, having the best record, and I understand we could argue the whole Buffalo scenario until we're blue in the face. But for them to come out victorious, they win 27-20, and they live to see another day, and the Chiefs... The beat goes on as they continue to win at home in the postseason. They only had the one loss, as we know, going back to the AFC Championship game even years ago against the Patriots, if you remember, with Tom Brady. And then last year, and all he has is wins littered throughout his playoff resume in that building where he's going to have another opportunity to host an AFC Championship game based on what happened earlier today in Buffalo. And that, of course, I'll touch on in a couple of minutes. As far as Jacksonville... Listen, they were playing with house money. They knew they had that big come-from-behind win the week before against the Chargers. And here, a game that I thought they were going to be in. And to think, they could have cut it to three with five minutes to go and certainly would have at least 
made the game interesting to see whether they could get a three and out and how Jacksonville could have responded at that point. And obviously we didn't get to see that. But Trevor Lawrence, their quarterback, I'm sure this was a huge, not big, a huge learning experience for this young team behind their Super Bowl winning coach a few years back with Philadelphia and Doug Peterson. I'm sure they're going to take this and run with it into the offseason and into training camp this year where Trevor Lawrence says that we'll be back. And I think they will because of the vision, as we all know, Indianapolis needs a quarterback. Houston is certainly in a big, giant rebuild. Tennessee, the tires went off the car toward the end of the season to where who knows what's going to happen with their quarterback situation with Ryan Tannehill. Malik Willis right now isn't the answer. So they have to put their pieces together. And this could be a division that Jacksonville, maybe for the next three to four years, could be theirs to win in the AFC South. As far as the night game last night between the Giants and Eagles and a lot of people were on that Daniel Jones wagon, the performance that he had against Minnesota, him going into Lincoln Financial Field with a lot of confidence based on that performance and the coach who has done a phenomenal job with that quarterback because a lot of people thought that Daniel Jones was a big giant question mark not only coming into the season but even with the Giants playing well and they got off to a 7-2 and start And not that it was all because of him, but obviously he did play a big part. And then down the stretch, that's when he separated himself to become a guy that maybe the Giants will have to really think long and hard to sign in the offseason to a long-term contract. I think that's going to be a given, despite the fact what happened there last night in Philadelphia. But for everybody thought, Daniel Jones, knowing that they lost the two games in the regular season, all right, the game in the regular season finale doesn't really count because the Giants didn't start didn't play their starters. So you had a scenario where the Giants were coming in hot and Philadelphia with all the question marks surrounding their quarterback and his health. And not only that, but also his psyche, knowing that he's going to be the favorite. And not only that, with their team having the one seed that they have everybody coming through their building to get to a Super Bowl. Well, did he answer the questions right out of the gate? I think he did so and then some. All the doubts that you had about Jalen Hurts and about 8.15 last night, were minimized pretty much in the first quarter of the game. And even with him going down the field to start off with an 8-play, 75-yard drive in for a touchdown, and then as the Giants got the ball, they were able to move the ball into Philadelphia territory. On a third and three, Jones gets sacked. And then Brian Dayball, I understand that you want to be a little aggressive. You're there to win. You're there to show Philadelphia that you're not afraid of the moment that you want to be able to stand eyeball to eyeball against your division rival and number one seed in the conference. But with the ball at that point at the Philadelphia 40 and knowing that you could punt the ball, I know it'd be a short pooch to try to get it inside the 10 and have them come the length of the field. But to me, you had to punt the ball there because what happened afterwards, Daniel Jones gets sacked again. The ball's placed at the 48-yard line of the Eagles And then eight plays, 52 yards later, pay dirt for Devontae Smith, a nine-yard touchdown pass, and you could pretty much turn your sets off there. The game was a little bit reminiscent to what we saw in Buffalo early today between the Bengals, only being the road team, doing the damage that they did to the home team. But in Philadelphia the night before, it was in reverse. The Eagles left no doubt as to them not only deserving to be a team That was a one seed that dominated pretty much throughout the whole regular season. Even after Jalen Hurts went down in Chicago, 
Remember, they were 13-1, and and yes, they did lose to Dallas in Dallas and had a bad loss at home to New Orleans, but they got reps for Jalen Hurts in the final game. Didn't really do much. Very vanilla offense, but uh-uh. It was all systems go last night, and they shut up everybody throughout the NFL thinking that if the Giants were going to be in the game in the second half, that if Jalen Hurts wasn't going to be 100%, how was he going to be not only upstairs in his mind with his psyche, but also in his heart? As far as his spirit, as far as his soul, as far as what's also, as I like to say, the intestinal fortitude. At least for one game, he showed the world that he was primed, ready, and raring to go. Now, I understand it was the Giants. Sixth seed, we could even argue the fact that the clock struck 12 on the Giants, that they beat a bad Minnesota defense the week before. So with all of the praise and accolades that the Giants, and well-deserved, By winning in Minnesota the week before, they knew that they were going to meet a buzzsaw and a hornet's nest because we all know how the fans are there down in South Philly to where they absolutely had zero shot after the first quarter. They lose 38-7, and there's nothing else to really get into. There isn't. Philly moves on. The Giants, now they have to wonder about Daniel Jones this offseason, who I think they will sign. Saquon Barkley, the running back, is also up for a contract and he even stated that he's not looking to set the record or try to break the bank as far as being the highest paid running back in the sport, which I understand for right now that may be a good thing, but who knows? As the offseason begins and as we creep into February and beyond, who knows? Maybe the agent gets into his ear, maybe he realizes what his worth is and he says, "Uh uh-uh, I want to be the highest paid guy in the sport. That's for then... This is now the Giants. This is something that they could build on. They had a year that nobody ever expected, not only making the playoffs, but also getting a road victory for the young quarterback, for the young coach and his team. It's a nice building block for a team that since they won the Super Bowl back in 2012, in the 2011 season, they made it to the playoffs one time and have been a wasteland out in the Meadowlands to go along with the Jets, I might add as far as being at the bottom of the sport, in particular, not only just in the past 10 years, but certainly since 2017, after they made the playoffs, they've been at the bottom of the NFL basement. But now, at least they have something to look forward to. The light at the end of the tunnel is already there, and now they can only hope to build with the quarterback and even quite possibly with the running back in tow. Now to get to today's games, which I know when you're listening to this, of course, whether it's Monday morning, afternoon, Etc. Again, I'm recording this Sunday night right after everything that had happened because I figured, let me just get it out now instead of waiting a day and having for me to sit on it to kind of muster up what it is I want to feel and what I want to say. I said, "Uh uh-uh. I'm going to squash that experiment for one week and I'm going to go right at it, right into it tonight. So you're getting Jay Reels here at his rawest and rarest form. So I hope you can appreciate that because, like I said, this is what I love to do in the blood and the DNA, as I always like to say when it comes to talking sports. Now, this game, it's intriguing. I understand it's 2020 right now, but you have to ask the Buffalo Bills, and who knows if this is ever going to come out here in the days and weeks to come. Maybe not until after the Super Bowl. Maybe it never comes out. But the one thing I would love to ask, whether it be the front office, ownership, maybe even the coach, did the NFL ever bring up to you Guys, as a team, whether or not you wanted to replay the game against Cincinnati, and granted, it didn't have to be back at 
Paul Brown Stadium or Paycor Stadium as it's now called. They could have put it in a neutral site. They could have put it in Pittsburgh, Cleveland. We talked about this a couple weeks ago. Did the Bills, were they counseled as far as the possibility of wanting them play this game in the light of what happened there a few Monday nights ago with DeMar Hamlin? And I would like to know whether or not if they had a say, did they not have a say? Did they just feel like, ah, let's just screw it. We don't want to play the game. It's over and done with. We're going to go with what we have. So what will be one game short? That's just the breaks. It's all about our teammate. And first and foremost, it was about him and his health. I, that goes without saying. But thankfully, with the way he's come out of it, not necessarily now, but as the week progressed, and especially toward the end of the week, which led into week 18, how he was able to speak, how he was able to FaceTime with his coaches and teammates, and how it certainly looked on the up and up, even though there was still quite a bit of road left to go in his recovery. But with all that being said, were they counseled? Did they have an opportunity to maybe play this game against Cincinnati? And if so, if they had a chance to make up the game or replay it from where it was with 5.53 to go, and let's say if they would have won the game, now think about this, and it's a big giant if, I understand, because Cincinnati was driving that day, and they looked like they were primed and ready to go to try to get that two seed in the conference, but let's just say if the Bills would have won. Think about this. They would have played Jacksonville today because they would have been a one seed tied with Kansas City. Obviously, we'll never know that. And the reason why I bring that up is because we saw what happened last week against Miami in the wildcard game and very sloppy, played down to their opponent, as I said last Monday. Everything that the Bills, as we talked about that flick of the switch mentality that they have where they feel like they could just turn it on because they have all the talent on offense and they're a team that, although defensively, they're a little bit more to be desired despite the fact that they do have good defensive players, but they are not one of the top defenses in the sport. But with all that being said, how they performed there last week, do you want to say there was a bit of a continuation into today? I can't say that's the case because it's not as if the Bills were sloppy. But let's just put it bluntly, they were taken to the back of Highmark Stadium and were just beat down from start to finish, pillar to post, from goal line to goal line. They had no shot in this game. The Bengals went in there and took care of them quick, fast, and in a hurry to where Bills Mafia couldn't get juiced up. The life in the building was slim to none. And the Bengals showed why a lot of people may have overlooked them considering that everybody in their preseason prognostications had Buffalo, especially after that opening week in LA against the Rams, the defending Super Bowl champs, how they were already printing up the Super Bowl tickets for Glendale for Bills Mafia. Well, how are they feeling right about now? And I don't want to just pick on the Bills and their fans because we all know what they've had to go through this year, not only with all the heartache with the storms that they had up there and the loss of lives, just awful, no matter how you cut it, just terrible stories up there. And even going back to the summertime with that lunatic going into the supermarket, that uh, I mean, and then we had another shooting yesterday, but that's a whole other set of encyclopedias. But going back to last summer, starting off with that, Then you had these snowstorms where the people perished. You had a game misplaced. That home game where Cleveland was supposed to go to Buffalo, where they had to go to Detroit. A few days later, had to go back for Thanksgiving, and they sweated out a last-second victory against the Lions. Anything that you could possibly imagine with this Bills team, they had to go through. And DeMar Hamlin, and thankfully he is alive, but they also had to go through that. And I get it, that they were becoming America's darlings, and they were hoping to maybe make a Super Bowl run for the sake of DeMar, for the sake of that city, and the team, organization, etc. 
And one more time, it's not as if I'm picking on them. I know it may sound that way, but let's face it. That team fell flat on their face today. But it was because of the Bengal domination throughout. And what more can you say about what they did today up at Orchard Park? In the snow, which gave it a great touch here in the middle to late part of January. And the Bengals, for all the talk going into that game, and they did not play well the week before in the game against the Ravens there last Sunday night. But for an offensive line that has been battered, torn, three of their offensive starters are out. How they were going to piecemeal this together was beyond me. But let me tell you something. Was Joe Burrow's uniform dirty at any point of this game? And talk about missing Von Miller if you're a Bills fan or more particularly the team. Because they didn't lay a fingernail on Joe Cool 2.0. At all. And for the Bengals, right out of the gate, touchdown drive, back-to-back, Jamar Chase with a touchdown, then the beautiful pass to Hayden Hurst, where the corner bit there on that Jamar Chase, which looked like it was going to be a pass out there in the flat, and then Hurst went around and up the field, kind of a wheel play, to where you got him there in the corner of the end zone, 14 nothing, and the Bengals did not look back. Just a dominant performance defensively by the Bengals, Offensively, they kept moving the chains. Big game for Joe Mixon. A million first downs in the first half. Pretty much throughout the whole game. But the Bills didn't get their first first down until the second quarter. The offense for Buffalo was out to sea. Or in this case, was somewhere in the parking lot. Because they were unable to muster up anything throughout the course of the day. And it just goes to show you. You can have Superman as a quarterback with the way Josh Allen plays. You can have all the skill positions, whether it's Stephon Diggs, Dawson Knox, Gabriel Davis, the two running backs there with Singletary and Cook. And still, all they mustered up throughout the course of the day was 10 points. And I want to hear about the elements because the Bengals had no problems going up and down the field throughout the entire afternoon. And if you're Cincinnati, you're talking about cooking with gas. Now, here's my thing. They played a near-perfect game, and not to say they're going to have to do that next week against the Chiefs, and I'll talk about that a little bit later on, but you do have to ask yourself whether or not that this team has peaked to the point where can they even play better than they did today? I don't know if that's going to be the case. Obviously, we'll have to wait and see about that, but the Bengals, Zach Taylor, the performance there by the defensive coordinator, And what they were able to do to Josh Allen, especially in that second half where they got into zero rhythm throughout and disrupted his timing, they got in his face. You couldn't ask for a better game plan if you're the Bengals coaches. And if you're the Bills, not only is this a major letdown, but you have to wonder again. Now, they probably won't say it publicly, but privately, is there any regret if they had an opportunity to make up this game versus the Bengals for an opportunity to not only beat the Bengals, but to maybe have the week off and the divisional round, which would have been today or yesterday, depending on how the schedule would have broke. Chances are it probably would have been yesterday against Jacksonville. But again, would you rather have the Jaguars coming to your building or the Bengals? And that's what you have to ask yourself. So they have a lot of answers this offseason. This team was 13-3. and three. It was Super Bowl a bust, I'm sorry, considering what this team has done over the past few years, but you got to look at it. They didn't make it out of the divisional round last year. 
They didn't make it out of the divisional round this year. They did not have a pass rush to even do anything to get in the face of Joe Burrow. And whether Von Miller comes back, remember he got an ACL injury, which happened Thanksgiving. So chances are, even if he does come back, you're probably not going to see him until November, maybe even December. And he's 32, 33 years of age. He's not a spring chicken when it comes to NFL terms. So they may have to get another pass rusher in there or something because there's no way they could win without having any pressure on the quarterback, whether it's Joe Burrow, whether it's Patrick Mahomes, or even me at quarterback. And then the last game, we know historically when you hear Cowboys Niners, all of the memories start flooding, going back to the catch with Dwight Clark. All their epic battles there in the 90s. We could even go back to the game last year. The wildcard game. Although, a little bit of fanfare. It wasn't a championship setting. A lot of those games, as we all know, they were in championship game settings. But here it is. Yesterday, where the Cowboys were coming in flying high after a dominant performance in Tampa. And there's a case right there where Dallas played a near-perfect game in Tampa. And granted that the Buccaneers are awful. But there you go. Can the Cowboys duplicate what they did last week in Tampa? Obviously, they didn't do that, which is the same for the Bengals. I don't want to compare the Cowboys to the Bengals because the Bengals do have a pedigree and they made it to a Super Bowl last year and obviously they're on a big-time roll. But for the Cowboys, they go into this game and the first thing that comes right out at your Cowboy fans, and I got to get my cousin JD, hopefully I'll get him on in the weeks to come because he's been long overdue, my former radio partner, that is, But if you're a Cowboy fan, you have to wonder whether or not Dak Prescott is going to be your guy to lead you to the promised land. I understand he's there for several more years. He's 29 years of age. He has a big-time contract. He's not going anywhere. And not only that, but who else are you going to get in replacement of number four under center next year there in white, blue, and silver? No one. So for Dak to have the game that he had Monday night against the Bucs not that you were expecting a carbon copy, but he threw two bad interceptions in the game, which both led to field goals. One was deep in nine territory where he tried to squeeze it into a short window. It was deflected, and then Fred Warner intercepted the pass. The first one, I don't know what he was doing there. That was just a deep out. I get he was being pressured there by Eric Armstead, but still, that was a pass that you had to throw away. Maybe he was trying to throw it away. Who knows? But that was just a terrible throw. This was a defensive battle. This was a hard-fought, scratch-and-claw type game. Brock Purdy pressured a lot throughout the game as the Cowboy defense showed their toughness and showed their mettle and did what they had to do. But the offense, I understand you lost Tony Pollard there with a high ankle sprain where he had to leave on a cart, which was tough. CeeDee Lamb looked like he dislocated a finger and he played exceptional as he had well over 100 yards. At one point, was he 9 for 111 in the game? But for the Cowboys, even though they were compromised offensively, but they weren't able to make enough plays, Brock Purdy had the run game going there. I don't know what Elijah Mitchell was doing there right after the two-minute warning where he's going down the right sideline and he steps out of bounds. My guy, come on, slide there. The game is over. I understand Dallas still had a couple of timeouts, but the clock would, after that, keep running. Dallas gets the ball back, and I'll get to that in a second. But for... This game and all the hype leading into it and everything that happened last year in the wild card game left a little bit more to be desired. Yes, it was competitive. Yes, it was a defensive struggle or really more of an offensive struggle, but both defenses played excellently. I know Brock Purdy on that touchdown drive where it went from 
9-9 to 16-9, where he had that tip catch, which was from the outstretched arms of George Kittle, as he tried to corral it and then bobbled it before he was able to get it. And I don't know what Trevon Diggs was doing, because if Trevon Diggs was able to get his shoulder flush and understand he probably would have got penalized there, but that wouldn't have been a 30-yard pass play, which pretty much set them up for the rest of that drive as McCaffrey gets into the end zone for the touchdown, 16-9, and that's where the Niners prevailed as they ended up winning 16-12. And then that final drive by the Cowboys, even with, what was it? Off the top of my head, I can't remember how many seconds left, and you had some terrible clock management there by Mike McCarthy right before the two-minute warning, not being able to get the ball to punt, so at least you could save some time. Not that it would really mattered because at the time, I believe it was under 240 to go. If it was north of 240, then that's fine. I can understand that because then the Niners would have to run one play. But be that as it may, when the Cowboys did get the ball back, and I don't understand what that formation was where you had Ezekiel Elliott as the center, and I understand they put the rest of the offensive linemen out so they could get blockers for the receivers, running backs, etc., But that play was going nowhere fast when you saw Ezekiel Elliott hike the ball and get trucked where Prescott throws a ball out in the seam where it was caught and then quickly tackled to the ground within a second and the game was over. So you couldn't even get the old Stanford Cal play where the ball's going to be lateraled a hundred times and the game was over. So that is your divisional wrap-up in a nutshell. But before I even get to that, So the Niners will continue to move on. We'll see them in Philadelphia next week. And the Cowboys, I understand you finally got that road victory for Dak Prescott, albeit against a bad Tampa Bay team who fought uphill just to get to 8-9 and win a division, as I said last week. You would only hope, somehow, someway, that Prescott, he has weapons. And I understand Pollard was out, and that's a big loss, and CeeDee Lamb still played well, even with the fingers. But Prescott does make you pull your hair out of your head if you're a Cowboy fan. There's no way to cut it. And you have to wonder whether or not he's going to be that guy to take you to finally winning a Super Bowl championship. As of right this second, I can't say he is. To me, he has to come either with a team that's going to be more loaded offensively. I think Ezekiel Elliott, his best days are behind him. I understand he's still productive, but he's not the Ezekiel Elliott that we saw Back 2016, 17, 18. He's not that guy anymore. Maybe Tony Pollard is going to be more of that guy. Who knows? I can't say that. But we all know he's a good fallback or even just a good change of pace as opposed to Elliott who's a bruiser as we all know. Defensively, you would think maybe they could get a little bit better because if they're going to win any Super Bowls, maybe it's going to be on their defense and their offense could do just enough even with Dak. But who knows? I don't have the answer for you. And then the other thing I got to say here before I conclude is I know John Lynch was in the skybox there toward the end of the game and then you see him on the sideline at the end of the game he's running onto the field. Do we really have to see John Lynch who as we all know is a Tampa Bay Buccaneer and yes I know he was a Denver Bronco there at the end of his career and I don't care if he's a former player I don't care if he's a Hall of Famer and to me that's even borderline because you know I'm a hard stickler when it comes to the Hall of Fame, and it's not to diss him because, again, the Hall of Fame is for the elite, elite, and for the dominant. And to put John Lynch in that same sentence as elite and dominant, was he Ronnie Lott? 
I don't think so. And that's just using one guy. If I go through all the safeties, is he Ed Reed? Uh, please, I could be here forever with that. But with that being said, to him run off the field and meet everybody there at midfield and shaking hands with Dak Prescott, do I really need to see that? If you're a Niner fan? I understand he's excited. They're going to the NFC Championship game. Save it for the locker room. Do you really need to be on the field? Do you see any other GMs out there? Besides Jerry Jones, of course. But, uh, I, I'd rather, spare me with that. But anyway, I digress. So that's what we got with the division around people. Again, not great. Not even good. Had its moments. But if I'm going to be kind, C+. Plus, but if I have to be real, C-. minus. D plus may be pushing it, but I would say C minus on the weekend overall. And quickly, as far as the championship games go, you have the two quarterbacks there. I believe the youngest matchup in a championship setting where Brock Purdy, we all know Mr. Relevant, seventh round pick. What is he, 23 years of age? And Jalen Hurts, second year in the league. The two top ranked defenses in the sport. So you got to look at that and how that's going to play out when we see these two Face off against one another Sunday at 3 p.m. Eastern. And of course, I'll get more into this on Thursday and have a preview and get into all the different storylines, etc. But you have the two best teams in the conference from start to finish, and I'm sure that it's going to be a battle, to say the least. And as far as the nightcap, it's a rematch of last year's game. Cincinnati has beaten them three times in the last 14 months. Can the Chiefs finally get over the hump and beat the Bengals? Especially on a bad wheel on Patrick Mahomes' left ankle. And that's his plant. Or I should say his right ankle, excuse me. And that's going to be the most hyped, most attentive ankle in the history of mankind here between now and next Sunday. Because we all know, as I said, he's a quarterback who runs. He's not a running quarterback. But he is able to escape the pocket to make plays. How that's going to factor in next week against the Bengal team that tackles well, that plays very solid defense, you saw that today against Josh Allen, is going to be a huge key in the game. And of course, we'll monitor it throughout the week and preview the game. I'll get into more of that then. I'll save it for that time. But now the NFL has three games left. Really, when you think about it, too, because the Super Bowl... It's almost like a holiday. You're getting people over to the house. You're getting your food ready. The whole circus carnival act that the Super Bowl is with the National Anthem, Rihanna at halftime, all the the flyovers, etc. That's what it's going to be. I understand it's in Glendale. Maybe they'll have the roof open. Who knows? But you have the two games. And forget about the Pro Bowl games. If anybody's even going to bring that up with me, please go somewhere else with that. But that's it. After next weekend... The NFL season is pretty much over. It's just about crowning a champion and getting through Super Bowl 57. And then we enter the Sports Dead Zone Part 1. All right, now let's put on my high tops and get to the NBA and also the college game because you had a couple of upsets over the weekend. And who knows when you get to March. I'm sure the dust will settle quite a bit when we get deeper into the college basketball season, especially after the conference championship tournaments, etc. But... You could pretty much flip a coin as to who could be in the Final Four this year because as of right this second, it is just a big-time toss-up. I'll get to that in a minute. I want to start with the NBA. The Grizzlies had an 11-game winning streak, and I can't believe I'm actually going to start here when I talk about it because 
The Grizzlies, who are firing on all cylinders, as we saw, not only did they have an 11-game winning streak that was snapped by the Lakers there on Friday night, but you had an incident right before the end of the first half where, of all people, Shannon Sharp got into it with the Memphis Grizzly players, getting into the ears of a one Dylan Brooks as he's unable to guard the likes of LeBron James and pretty much just spewing all types of nonsense toward the Grizzlies to where you had Steven Adams approaching Shannon Sharp, who had a courtside seat there, and Shannon Sharp trying to flex his clout and his muscles. And yes, I could talk about Sharp in that regard just for this one reason only. If he was trying to get under their skin of a young team, well, it worked. And if you're the Grizzlies, you need to back off. Don't let Shannon Sharp disrupt you, your flow, etc. If anything, you just laugh at him. And I understand they know who Shannon Sharp is and we know how much of a figure he is, especially when it comes to the media and having a show there with Skip Bayless, etc. But as much as you want to criticize Sharp, and I will to a certain extent, because what he tried to do in executing his game plan to throw the Grizzlies off, it worked. Now, did it work to the point where that's the critical or key point in how the Grizzlies lost the game? Absolutely not. But for Sharp to get under the Grizzlies' skin to where John Moran's dad had to come over and not necessarily cool Shannon Sharp down, but they had a little meeting of the minds and hug it out a little bit as Sharp was just on fire and all the quotes that he says, none of you guys want this smoke. If you want this problem, you're going to get more problems in return, whatever it was that he said. And I don't want to make it bigger than what it actually is, but it's very rare to see Someone of that particular magnitude, whether it's a former athlete, a celebrity, in particular a guy that is a former athlete and it's in the media, to get into it with the opposing team to the point where you had a little bit of, I'm not going to say a melee, but obviously there was some strife there. And not to say that propelled the Lakers to beating the Grizzlies, 122-121, I believe what the final score was. But it did snap their losing streak, and now the Grizzlies have lost two in a row ever since. And who knows? Does that mean that the Grizzlies are now going to go into a tailspin? Probably not, but that was the big story over the weekend in the NBA. And I actually found it funny at first, and I'm like, oh, geez, Shannon Sharp trying to throw his weight around and look at him out there trying to be a tough guy. And then I thought to myself, wait a minute, why are the Grizzlies even entertaining this? They should be laughing at him. They should be saying, hey, go back to the studio or... Nobody wants to hear from you, old man, or whatever. And I guess people could say that about yours truly. But again, hey, I'm behind this microphone. I'm not courtside trying to yell whatever obscenities or try to get in the heads of a young Grizzly team. So that I had to throw out there. And then the Nuggets also lost too. So they're still in pace where Denver's one out west and Memphis is number two. Now the Celtics have won nine in a row. And I've talked about them quite a bit, as we know. Had that big win against the Warriors on Thursday night, TNT. The other night, and then they beat the Raptors yesterday, but they did lose two big players on their team. Marcus Smart went down at the end of the first half, and you got to wonder what's going to happen with him because he's always had like these groin ankle leg injuries, and he did injure his right ankle where Robert Williams, after the first quarter was gone, as he collided with Jalen Brown, they called it a hyperextended knee, and we know that's the same knee that was operated on last spring to where he played in and out of the lineup but had to play sparingly throughout considering he was recovering from surgery so who knows how long they're going to be out of the lineup and again they've won nine in a row four and a half games ahead of the Sixers who have actually won five in a row 
there in the East. So they still maintain a good edge there with a four and a half, five game cushion in the Eastern Conference. Of course, we all know that the All-Star game is still a few weeks away, so we don't really have to worry about getting to that point. Although the trade deadline is before that, and that I believe is February, I think it's the first Tuesday in February, but I'll take a look at that as we get to Thursday's podcast and we'll go a little bit more in depth at that time. But a big reinforcement could be coming back this week, and that's a one Anthony Davis. As we all know, he's been out with that foot injury. And the Lakers are coming east. They'll actually be in Boston Saturday, and they'll be in New York to play both the Knicks and Brooklyn. So for those who live in the tri-state area, we'll get an opportunity to see not only LeBron, but maybe even Anthony Davis as they try to, one more time this season, see if they could creep up in the standings, creep closer to 500, as I've said a million times before and a million and one times right now. Every time they take a few steps forward, they always take four or five back. So to get him back in the fold and knowing that he is not going to say the straw that stirs the drink, but we all know if they have any aspirations to going deep in the postseason, he needs to be front and center. As much as this may be LeBron's team, and I've said this before at Infinitum, check the receipts. To me, if Anthony Davis is healthy 100% and uninjured, the Lakers could go places. If he's going to be in and out of the lineup, if he's going to be out for long stretches of time, obviously that's not going to be the case. So that's what you have with the Lakers as they look to come back east to come down the eastern corridor as we'll see them Saturday night in the Saturday showcase. And then, of course, in the early part of next week where he'll be here in the metropolitan area where the fan will get to see him in their only visit to Madison Square Garden and to the Barclays Center. And as I turn my attention to the college ranks, another crazy weekend in the sport. We talked about it on Thursday where you had 11 ranked teams lose last weekend. I believe all of them were on Saturday. And then yesterday being Saturday, you had TCU. No, not the Max Duggan, Sonny Dykes-led team, the college football that went to the championship game against the Georgia Bulldogs. The Horned Frogs basketball team who are ranked 14th in the nation, and I touched on them a little bit the other day, how they were able to go into Kansas and just take them to the back of the woodshed, beat them by 23 points, the second worst loss in Kansas history, or really in the last two years, because they did get spanked a couple of years ago, where they lost by 24 points. And here it is, Kansas ranked number two in the nation, just getting their doors blown off. Bill Self, the second worst loss there as coach of the Jayhawks. And TCU looking to make a name, not only as we saw in football over the last year, but now the basketball team has become a focal point where people may have to start paying attention to. That's a good thing if you ask me. And then just earlier today, the Houston Cougars lose at home to Temple. That's right, Temple, the Owls. And when you think of Temple, you think of the old venerable coach, may he rest in peace, John Chaney. But the Owls go in there, and even though the Cougars had a chance to at least tie, to put it back and push it into overtime. They were unable to do so as they lose at home to, of all teams, it's not as if they lost to a team that's in their conference or a team that's certainly ranked where they can say to themselves, all right, we just got beat, whether it's by Baylor or someone else in that division or in their conference, excuse me. But for them to go down as a number one seed, as well as Kansas, and I'm sure there's going to be a changing in the guard as another team will be at the top 
of the nation as far as the number one ranking is concerned. And I understand it's January 22nd. Right now, nobody's in college basketball mode. Nobody really cares. And I can understand that. I bring it up only because college basketball, slowly but surely, is going to be brought into our consciousness. And yes, I am going to be primed and ready to go when that time comes, especially as I mentioned earlier with the Sports Dead Zone Part 1 coming because there's going to be a lot of college basketball forthcoming people. And obviously, once we get into March, that's going to be a big-time focal point to get us through spring training and to the start of the baseball season. So, with those two teams going down, let's see who's going to move up. You would think Purdue's going to move up in the rankings. I would think Arizona. I know they played on Saturday. I don't know how they fared. So, we'll have to wait and see once the top 25 is released as to who's going to be number one and number two. But as of right this second, I couldn't even tell you what team is going to be there at the end, or at least in the Final Four, because it is going to be a toss-up, to say the least. And that's the beauty of sports, that's the beauty of the March Madness Tournament, which is still another seven and a half weeks from today. I believe Selection Sunday will be seven weeks from today. And when you think about it, we will all rejoice at that time. You know why? Because seven weeks from today... We'll be able to move the clocks forward, meaning we'll have longer days. I understand we're not going to have warmer days just yet, and I'm not trying to rush time by any stretch. It'll be here before you know it. But uh, just knowing that when you get out of work, and it's 5 o'clock, and it's still light out, uh, let us all rejoice. And then we'll have spring, and then hopefully warmer days soon thereafter. And then we could all sing hallelujah at that time. As far as the NHL goes, a little bit of this, a little bit of that. I know Vancouver fired Bruce Boudreaux their coach who was only there for pretty much a cup of coffee. I was think he was there for about 13 months and he's getting replaced by Rick Tockett. Yes, that Rick Tockett, the former Philadelphia Flyer, also played in Pittsburgh and won a couple of cups. Yes, that same Rick Tockett who was on the TNT panel there for, what is it, Inside the NHL or whatever their studio show is. So Vancouver taking a chance, rolling the dice to bring Tockett back into the mix. And yes, he does have... Head coaching experience. He did coach the Lightning back in the late 2000, I want to say 2008, 2010 range, somewhere around there. But he's most notable for his time in Arizona when he relieved Wayne Gretzky, I believe, at that time from 2017 to, I want to say 2020, maybe 2021, when he was the head coach of the Coyotes. So now he's back behind the bench as a coach. Let's see if that does anything for a Vancouver team who has certainly underachieved this year. That remains to be seen, but Tockett now back behind the bench and let's see what he does for a Canuck team that has been flailing all year long. Then you have the Carolina Hurricanes when we're talking about some injuries and also some players that are now back in the mix when it comes to what's happening on the ice. Max Pacioretty, a guy that's been well-traveled, but also a guy that the Hurricanes were looking for goal scoring who had been injured pretty much throughout the whole season and was back in the lineup for the first time all year just a couple of weeks ago, had chipped in with about two or three goals since his return. What happens? He had suffered an Achilles tear to where it looks like he's going to be out for the rest of the year, and even after making his season debut to think that he's not going to be around to be on this team for a Hurricane team who had a very big year last year, they folded in a Game 7 against the Rangers in the conference semifinals as we saw, And even though they got out of the gate a little bit sluggish, but they've certainly gotten themselves on track to where they're still at the very top of the Metropolitan Division. And for Carolina, who leads the league in shots on goal, but they rank in the middle when it comes to goal scoring. 
So not having Pacioretty there is certainly going to be a big loss. Let's see what they do as the trade deadline. I still believe is about a month and change away. But Carolina, if they have any aspirations to win a Stanley Cup, they have to bring in some reinforcements knowing that this team looks like they're going to be ready for a deep postseason run. A very formidable team. A team that could go to a cup. I still think there are a few other teams in the conference. Right now, you can't even argue with the Bruins, and I've talked about them until I've been blue in the face, as you know, if you've listened over the last few weeks. But that is going to be, I won't say a big loss, only because he hasn't been there all year, but knowing that he was there for a couple weeks and has contributed, that now, if you're a Hurricane fan, if you're Coach Rod Brindamore, now you have to wonder, where are you going to get a goal scorer to come in to be that missing piece, that final link to try to get yourself to a Stanley Cup final? That remains to be seen. And then you have the Colorado Avalanche, which they welcomed back Nathan McKinnon this past week. He scored a goal in the shootout there, I believe just last night, but they've now won five in a row. And knowing that they got their captain, their main man back, I'm sure that's going to do wonders for the Avalanche, who have not played pretty well this year. In fact, they've been pedestrian. You want to talk a little bit of the Stanley Cup hangover at the beginning, but then with McKinnon out and not having your big-time Top gun goal scorer there. I know that's going to be the Bills setting blow. Just ask the Hurricanes. I'm sure they could certainly use a guy like McKinnon right about now. But the Avalanche we're going to have to keep an eye on to see what they do now as they try to make a push there out west. And NHL, the Bruins have won five in a row, so they continue to stay hot. What else is new there? Got to give it up for what they've done, as I've said, time after time after time throughout the hockey season. And then other than that, the Oilers have played well. They've won six in a row now. So maybe we could keep an eye on Edmonton as they finally get themselves on track. And NHL, we'll delve into a little bit more as we get into the next podcast on Thursday. But that's what we have there. A couple of the quickies before I bid adieu. Major League Baseball, we've had some transactions here as we're just, count them, three weeks from pitchers and catchers. We're really three weeks from this coming Tuesday. So for the baseball fan, like yours truly, looking forward to the... Arizona and Florida leagues, the Cactus and Grapefruit League, respectively. You had a trade between the Marlins and Twins to where the Marlins sent Pablo Lopez to Minnesota for Luis Arias, who was the batting champ in the American League last year, which adds a little bit more offense to a Marlins team that is certainly desperate for it. They moved Jazz Chisholm, who was their second baseman, out to the outfield, which I believe he's going to be playing center field. Remember, they brought in guys last year like Jorge Soler, as well as Avicel Garcia, who severely and vastly underachieved. So the Marlins look for a guy in Arias to maybe go with Chisholm as your one-two to set the tables for your power guys in the middle of the lineup. And with Lopez going to Minnesota, they're trying to do it with some pitching. We understand Correa now back in the mix. So let's see if that trade will work out for both. Marlins trying to find their way in the National League East, which is going to be Uber competitive, as we all know, with the defending National League champs in the Phillies. The year before, the defending World Series two years ago, or now, yes, two years, in 2021, the Braves. The Mets winning 101 games. The Nationals will be bad, and the Marlins just trying to see what they could do in a very competitive National League East. And then you also had Andrew McCutcheon coming full circle in his career as he signs with the Pirates. We all know that he was a guy drafted, I believe, 2009 was a building block and a key contributor, key figure in that organization, especially in those mid-20 teen years. 
He was an MVP in 2013. They made it to the postseason, won the wild card, and then lost to St. Louis. The following two years, they lost in the wild card games and back-to-back years to both Madison Bumgarner and Jake Arrieta. I believe they got complete game shutout against. And then the Pirates from that point on were never to be heard from, unfortunately. So McCutcheon goes back. I'm sure he wants to be a, I'll dare I say this, and not an insult by any stretch, but a father figure, a guy that could show the young guys the ropes, whether Brian Reynolds is still on the team next year, Cabrian Hayes, a lot of their young core, O'Neal Cruz, the shortstop. So we'll see what McCutcheon does as he goes back to Pittsburgh. And who knows if he's going to play center field. I'm sure he's probably going to play corner outfield, whether left or right. But good to see McCutcheon go back home. And then you had Aroldis Chapman sign with the Kansas City Royals for a one-year deal, I believe $3 million. But Aroldis, let's see if he can resurrect his career because, as we all know, his Yankee career, big bucks, had his moments, but he's going to be remembered mostly for not only giving up the home run to Altuve first and foremost because that's when the Astros went to the World Series in 2019, but then the following year in the divisional playoff in San Diego, Petco Park, where he gave up the home run to Mike Brosseau I believe the score was 1-1. Bottom of the eighth inning, he took him deep, and that was the same guy that he threw at in the regular season, if you remember, where he threw high and tight over his head, and he exacted revenge in the biggest way possible by hitting a home run off of him in the postseason game in a game-clinching Game 5 setting. So, the Yankee fan, I'm sure they're good riddance, but do not have any redeeming, lasting memories of the former flamethrowing closer, so let's see what he does out in Kansas City. And then some sad news where you had Sal Bando, the former A's third baseman, played on those 70s teams with the A's, especially the three World Series wins, 72, 73, 74, against the Reds, Mets, and Dodgers. Four-time All-Star, was a key member on those teams to go along with Reggie Jackson, Joe Rudy, Vita Blue, Ken Holtzman, Catfish Hunter, just a Burt Campaneris. A great team led by the manager Dick Williams and was a dynasty during the early part of the 70s. Later became a GM for the Milwaukee Brewers. Died at the age of 78 over the weekend due to cancer. So thoughts, prayers, and condolences go out to the Bando family, the Ace family as well. And just another loss there, especially when it comes to guys that played there early 70s into the 80s and was still a fixture in baseball past his playing days. So... And I remember once upon a time, this is a funny, quick story. I believe my uncle, of all people, he had a Sal Bando glove because he played third baseman. And remember, when you bought gloves back in the days, and I guess you could still buy gloves with the signature of the player on the inside, there in the webbing, not necessarily in the webbing, but in the middle of the mitt. Once again, thoughts, prayers, and condolences go out to Bando, his family, friends, etc. And lastly, with the Australian Open down under, you've had some top seeds go by the wayside here over the last few days. We talked about Rafa Nadal there on Thursday. Now on the men's side, the number two ranked player in the world, Casper Ruud, was out in four sets. So no more Ruud. You still have Sissipas. You still have Medvedev. Obviously, Djokovic, who by far is going to be the clear-cut favorite to win the Australian Open. I'd be shocked if he doesn't as we get into the second week of the tournament. But then on the women's side, Anjabor, who I picked and predicted to win the Australian Open, only based on what she did last year at Wimbledon and the U.S. Open, making it to both Grand Slam finals before losing, I figured, well, hey, all that experience that she had, 
Let's see if she takes it to the next level and finally wins a Grand Slam. Uh Uh-uh. That was not to be the case as she was disposed in the middle part of the week. I believe it was on Thursday. And then also, number one ranked player in the world, Iga Swiatek, who I thought maybe would have had a clear-cut path to win another major. Well, she gets upended by Elena Rybakina in straight set, 6-4, 6-4. So you got your number one and number two seeds out. You still have Jessica Pagula, who could be probably the favorite to win this thing. Maybe even Coco Goff, as she looks to get her first Grand Slam major. So the women's side, still a little bit intriguing. I believe Madison Keys is still alive, and you still have... Ribikina and a couple of others that are still in the mix. So on the women's side, very intriguing. Let's see how it plays out throughout the course of the week. But I think on the men's side, it's Djokovic or bust, if you ask me. So you know, come Thursday, I'll bring you up to date as we head into the weekend to see where we stand and where we lie when it comes to the first Grand Slam tournament of the 2023 season. And that'll do it, my good people. Another episode just about the books. In closing, as I always do each and every week, I thank you guys and gals for joining me on this journey to listening to what it is I have to say about what goes on in the world of sports. Your participation is never taken for granted, so I thank you from the bottom of my heart. If you haven't done so, like I said at the top, and I'll say briefly, please subscribe, rate, and review. Throw me a few stars, write a review, just so we can increase the visibility of this podcast with all the others that are out there. I'm going nowhere, people. As long as the good Lord has me here on his green earth, I will continue to produce podcast after podcast after podcast and hopefully I'll have a slew of guests in the days and weeks to come as I'm just thinking about this less than six weeks away from my fifth anniversary doing this podcast so just keep that in mind so if you could do that I would greatly appreciate it if you want to hit me up on my socials you could do so on TikTok Instagram and Facebook at the J Reels podcast Twitter J Reels one just a number or questions comments suggestions go to the J Reels podcast at gmail.com hit me up and I'll be more than happy to follow up And lastly, if you want to contribute to this endeavor, you could do so by going to my Patreon page, P as in Paul, A-T as in Tom, R-E-O-N as in Nancy, dot com, slash the J Reels podcast. Whatever you want to put forth is going to go 100%, people, to the production of the podcast, the upkeep of the website, the equipment, everything to make this experience into this microphone, to your earbuds and speakers, that much more pleasurable, that much more excitable, heightened, etc. as I compete with all the other people that are out there. Because like I said before, and I'll say one last time, I'm going nowhere, people. Sports is in the blood, it's in the DNA, and I got a lot to say. And for those who even question my passion, fire, fury, energy, when I do a deep dive on my thoughts, opinions, feelings, analysis, critiques, Praise on anything and everything that happens on the world of the diamond, ice, gridiron, hardwood, golf course, racetrack, tennis court, boxing ring, octagon, you name it. From my lips to your ears, from my heart to your soul, from where I am to wherever you are, the J Reels podcast always comes correct, direct, and in full effect. From the South Bronx to South Beach to South Central to South Pacific and all points beyond, peace, love, and God bless everybody. And until next time on J Reels podcast, on the flip, baby. <laughs>